All right, bradcooney.com in association with HCN Networks is absolutely honored to have on board Hollywood actor Daniel Franzese. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us, man. Hey, Brad, it's really great to be on the show. Absolutely, man. We're a pleasure to have you on board. All right, so, um, you know, I've been watching you for a long time. Of course, you played in Mean Girls, um, Bully, I Spit on Your Grave, which I remember the first original I Spit on Your Grave, which caused, caused all kinds of controversy. It was a great movie. Um, so some really cool roles. And uh, most recently, you, um, you're hosting a show on the Logo channel called Gay Skit Happens. So let's get right into that first. Talk about that. Um, well, we did a, a Valentine's special, uh, like a love edition of this uh, sketch comedy special. Uh, with Logo, they asked me to be their first host, and I had a great time. It was pretty great. All right, so this isn't a recurring thing. Is this one of the? It's like a special guest type thing. Yeah, they, they're doing. Um, yeah, it is. They're doing uh, different uh, sketch comedy specials, mm-hmm. and the first of those that they were unrolling was the one that I hosted. Uh, they're having. They have another one that comes out in June with Vivica A. Fox. Ah, uh, good stuff. Do you think you'll you'll come back on the show and do it again? I do. I have a really strong feeling. I mean, I, doing this, I really developed a great relationship with Logo, and I feel like I'll be... Okay, can you... Can you your phone broke off that. The, can you just finish the last part of your, your answer? Oh, I just said, um, I feel like I really got along with Logo. Uh, we hadn't worked together previously, and now I feel like we'll be doing a lot more together in the future. Okay, great stuff, man. All right, so... Um, and also, I, I, I was reading up on you, um, and you, you're involved with this the uh, on ABC Freedom, a show called Recovery Road. Can you get into that a little bit for us? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, ABC Family changed their name to Freeform. It's a new uh, approach to the network. And uh, one of the new shows is uh, our show, Recovery Road, which I, um, I'm delighted to say people are really loving. Uh, it is about a 17-year-old girl who gets caught drinking and doing drugs in high school and then has to nights and weekends. So she has to live at the adult sober living facility and then still attend school and the, all the problems that come with that, uh, not telling her friends that she's there and all the people that she meets in the house. Um, I play Vern Testaverde, who is, uh, who was a, a dancer and a choreographer and, uh, had a bout with cocaine and quit cocaine after he lost his mojo and gained a little weight. Um, and it's interesting, I think, that our show sheds a little bit of light on the side of recovery. Because mm-hmm. I feel like on television, often we see like the glamorous side of drugs and alcohol or the downward spiral rock bottom, but we never really see a lot about people who are in recovery who are making their way back up. Um, and I think that that's a cool thing that Freeform decided to away from that. Yeah, you know, I worked in a drug and alcohol rehab. Actually, two of them. I worked in an outpatient and an inpatient clinic up in New York. Uh, we're both I'm from New York, by the way, too. Um, so I've seen, like, the whole behind-the-scenes thing and the whole recovery process. So I agree with you. It's, it's really nice to see a show that's that shows that side of things. Well, much to the credit of Bergby uh, Royal and Karen DeConcetto, the show's creators, um, I really think that they don't shy away from the gritty stuff, but still manage to infuse enough uh, comedy and heart uh, to keep the levity going. Um, and I think it's an enjoyable show. What all do you look for in a script or when someone comes to you with an idea? Um, Lots what? of zeros. <laughs> 
besides that, um, you know, what are some things that really just grabs your attention that really, really would enhance someone's chances of booking you? I, I think um, when it comes to being just a big guy in Hollywood or a gay guy in Hollywood or an Italian guy in Hollywood or a tall guy in Hollywood, any of the things that make me a minority, um, I really appreciate being roles that have a really strong arc. Mm-hmm. I mean, part, part, part of the things in entertainment are... Um, you watch someone go through something on a television show and your life, their life changes, um, hopefully in the script because of some event. Life changes a little bit. Um, I'd rather play characters that go through some sort of arc or have some sort of, uh, change in them so that when they start, when we start the project, uh, they're different by the end of it rather than just being some, you know, um, innocuous sidekick or something. Mm-hmm. Although I do love a lot of the comedies that offer that, I, I do like to see my characters grow because I think that's where I'm able to have the most effect on my audience. You know, I I, I grew up in upstate New York, but only about 35 miles north of the Bronx. So I was close enough to New York City um, to get in there and have fun on weekends and then, and then be able to get home into the suburbs. Um but I grew up in my school, you know, where, where in the 80s. Now, I grew up in the 80s. I'm 50 years old now. And I just I just met a friend of mine that I went to high school with. I haven't seen him in 30-plus years. Um, and he's gay. And I pretty much knew he was in school. But back then, if you were gay, you kept your mouth shut about it in, in, in that part of at least where I'm from. And we talked about the difference of how it was in the 80s for somebody who's gay and as opposed to as it is now. And even though we still have, you know, a ways to go, it's a lot better. It's socially acceptable a lot more. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I completely see the difference between 2004 when Mean Girls came out and now. Right. I mean, I, re- I recently just came out in 2014. So yep, I agree with you. The climate has changed uh, not only drastically but rapidly. And I think now that we're seeing uh, progression and movement in the trans movement, um, it's, it's just accelerating the, the gay and lesbian movement even further. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So it's interesting. We, we, we live in a different time for sure. I don't, I think people have become complacent. Uh, people think that, you know, uh, gay people have equal rights, not just because we have marriage equality, but, uh, battles to, to fight. I know in 22 states, there's still reasons that people can get fired just because they're gay. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, I, I told you I was born and raised in New York, but I happen to live in Mississippi right now. And Mississippi is one of the states that you were talking about, I believe. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, and I get in. I'm, I'm not your typical Mississippian, of course, because I grew up in New York, like I said. And so I get into a lot of clashes. And I'm a straight guy, um, but I also, um, you know, I look at things logically. And one of the debates I frequently get into 
with people is the, the, the whole question of whether or not a gay person is born that way or if they choose that way. And I'm like, you know, my, my argument is if gay people ch choose that lifestyle, they got to be like the greatest actors in the history of the world. To, 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 <laughs> because if they were acting, if they were faking, you would think they would slip up once or twice and their straight side would come out. You, you know what I mean? I mean, is, is, what do you think? What do you think I about that? that perspective for sure. I think, you know, I mean, the South is a huge problem right now, not only for uh, HIV and AIDS awareness and prevention. Um, I'm an ambassador as well for Elizabeth Taylor. Elizabeth Taylor, yep. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, and I've talked, to, I've also done a lot of work with Trevor Project, which is an organization that helps with uh, suicidal uh, gay and lesbian and transgender teens. That's um, good stuff. Most of their calls come from the South. And there's so, such a lack of education out there right now because a lot of, a lot of the uh, school systems in the South teach mm -hmm. uh, sexual education. Um, and, you know, there's, there's kids out in the South that don't even really think that they need to wear condoms because you know, they're in the same-sex partnership and then think that they're, you know, uh, they're not going to get pregnant, so what's the point? And it's, it's more about more than that. There's really a lack of education. Growing up, I'm sure, I mean, you sound close to my age, but growing up, there was tons of uh, different things that taught us what HIV and AIDS was and how to prevent and treat it and accept it um, because it was a bigger issue in the media at that point. Mm -hmm. But now that we're seeing a lack of representation on television and in the media and lack of stories about people with HIV and AIDS, there's less information out there for our youth. And right. it's really alarming right now. Um, just incredibly alarming at the rates that uh, everything's, that the new tra um, transmissions are rising. Really is. I think social networks help, help some for, and actually it's a bittersweet thing because social networks could actually kill people. Um, with some of these bullies that get on social networks and, and make fun of people. But on the flip side, for, for gay people, um, I think they can meet more gay people and, and they, through social networks, Twitter and Facebook, and that's helped. Because when I was growing up in the 80s, if someone was gay, it was pretty. It was an isolated world because they didn't have the social networks back then to reach out to other it's people. True. You know, I have, I have a relative, and I don't want to you know, say who this person is, but she actually came out to me when I had lunch with her recently, and she still hasn't come out to her own parents, um, and 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 that's that's a concern, you know, because more comfortable with me, which I understand. But you want to do a new a newer modern concern for a gay man? Like I like so as we approach uh, all of this equality, and we're approaching uh, quote unquote normalcy in a lot of areas, especially the major metropolitan areas. I mean, people don't blink twice. I'm sure there's isolated incidents, but people don't really blink twice about a gay person in this day and age in a big city like Los Angeles or New York. But I feel like part of me feels like the privacy that you're talking about <clears throat> led to the interesting artistic queerness of LGBT people um, because we had our own culture and our own little subculture. And now that we're becoming more mainstream, I don't want the gay community to lose their edge. Mm. Um, they've contributed so much to the arts and so much uh, different things because of the, there's our skewed vision of how the world works around us. And I'm hoping that we still can remain to be like the fierce leaders in art and culture that we always were. It's a good point. It's a good point. It's a good angle. I didn't even think about it from that angle. Good point. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I always said that the reason I think that, uh, 
gay people tend to be slightly more creative is because we really have to pay attention to detail. Growing up, when we walk in a room, we have to survey the room for safety first, and we have to survey the room for who's gay and who's straight. And then pretty soon it turns into who's hot and who's not. And then it turns into what is she wearing? <laughs> and then it turns into look at this decor. And, and, you know, I feel like so many times I've had conversations about something that didn't interest me, particularly as an LGBT person, and my mind would wander and I'd start checking out my surroundings. And I really feel like that's one of the reasons that queer people are really awesome at attention to detail. And because we are constantly looking around and having to check our surroundings when we walk in a room. Absolutely. All right, man. Great talk. Great. I didn't mean to get off on a, on the whole gay thing. It just kind of happened. Um, yeah, I'm sure you're used to it in these interviews. Um, let's talk about this freaking YouTube channel you got, man. I was laughing. This uh, shit Italian mom say. <laughs> it, it cracks me up because growing up, when you I was watching your skits when you were doing that, and I actually like was having like visions of like real Italian women I grew up with that say all that stuff. That's what was funny I know. about it. I, I really feel like we got we got a big majority in the first couple. I mean, a new one just came out. When Gay Skit Happens, I was able to make another uh, series of Italian. Um, you have to check out the new one. But yeah, definitely uh, try to get everything in there that uh, all those ladies said. Absolutely. Remember the uh, the plastic over the couches? Yeah, can you hear me? Oh, uh, no, I can't, yeah. Yeah, we have, we've had a little bit of, of a choppy uh, connection, but that's all right. Uh, I was saying, remember, remember back growing up in New York with the, the Italians, they'd have the, their, their sofas covered in plastic? Yeah, we did growing up, for sure. Isn't that amazing? I mean, what the heck was that all about? I, I never could get that. I asked my mom about it. I was like, why did you guys do that? And they were like, well, you didn't know how messy you are. <laughs> we kept it clean. We kept it nice. I'm like, for who? Like, is the president coming home? <laughs> Absolutely, man. All right, you know, a minute ago... I even wonder, I even wonder, Brad, if the president did come over, would they take the plastic off or just windex the couch? I, they'd probably be so stunned if President Obama came to the house that they wouldn't even forget about it. They wouldn't even... Plastic over the couch wouldn't even... They, they'd forget about it. They wouldn't even remember it was there. I, or did you ever have anybody in, uh, in your neighborhood or in your family who had a special living room that no one could go in? Yeah, I did, and, and God forbid you walked like with your shoes on anywhere near it. I they know they had that, that show living room, like we were walking through the furniture section of Bloomingdale. <laughs> yep, I, I, yep. It's, it's, I don't know if it was just a northeast thing with those things, or if that happened in other parts of Italian neighborhoods and other parts of the world. I don't know because we moved to school, and Fort Lauderdale to me is just diet Brooklyn. It's a lot of transplanted New Yorkers. It is and all of Florida. There are, there are a couple people there with fake living rooms too. That's funny, man. That's funny. All right, now a little, a few minutes ago, you talked about the uh, you're an ambassador for the Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation. Um, get into that a little bit more. That's important. I want people to hear about this. Well, it started with uh, with Elizabeth Taylor's uh, grandson. Uh, he asked me to get involved, but at the time, we just didn't see a fit for like an event or something that I could really help out with. Then I got cast in HBO's television show, Looking, and on that show, I played an HIV-positive character. And not just an HIV-positive character, but a healthy one, and um, one who was being pursued by one of the lead characters who was negative romantically. And we also discussed things like PrEP, which is uh, the preventative drug that we now have. If, you know, if someone takes PrEP, um, then it, they can't 
get HIV, and which is an amazing new tool that hasn't been discussed on television. And my character was the first character with HIV to be on television in five years when it came out. So this led to me calling back Quinn and being like, how could I become a part ah. of this? And uh, previously, um, after Miss Taylor's passing, um, the, her board of trustees were, take, were taking care of the foundation, but they recently hired a new managing director, Joel Goldman, America and March of Dimes. And he himself is, has been uh, HIV positive for 21 years. And hmm. so as uh, a great philanthropist, an amazing Pied Piper of celebrities, um, and great idea man came into Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation. I also joined. And at the same time, Joel made me an ambassador, and we have done amazing work together since we've been working together. Although Looking has been completed, I mean, we have a movie coming out uh, later this year to complete the series. Even though that still happens, I will be remaining an advocate for the rest of my life until we eradicate this disease. And next week, I go for my second time to AIDS Watch in Washington, which is, uh, AIDS Watch is this time where Capitol Hill opens its doors to the AIDS activists from 35 states that come in and talk about the progression and the needs and the desires of, of people with HIV and people to help uh, in aid in prevention and treatment. Mm. So, I mean, I've become as an official ambassador, and it's been great. I mean, I've gotten to know all of Elizabeth Taylor's grandchildren, and they're all lovely people who are continuing their grandmother's legacy. I, I can't believe the stories and the amazing things that I've read about what Elizabeth Taylor has done. And just as a legend and an actress and a legacy, I am so inspired by her and find myself every day trying to do things that would live up to uh, to her fight. To make her proud. So, yeah. Yeah, and I'm very excited. And I've got to see some amazing things, too. I mean, we got a, a personal tour of the National Treasury where they pulled up all of her nationalization papers and the letters that she wrote the president. And I got to see things through her grandchildren's eyes, which was such an amazing gift. And I'm so happy that this family has shared this with me, and I'm really happy to continue to fight for them. Wow, that's inspiring. And what an iconic humanitarian she was. Just an amazing person. Beyond. I know. It's just incredible when you hear about the stories. I mean, there's stories where, like, you know, she did illegal things that, you know, even her trust is like, you can't confirm or deny. Yeah. But, yep. but you know, but um, just, like, you know, about her running, like, illegal drug, ring, drug rings in her house in order to be able to get the drugs to people before they were on the market and um, you know uh, the Abbey which is probably in the country but but in uh, Los Angeles she used to sit there every day and she has a little portrait now where she used to hang out and she used to greet all of the people and um, I just heard so many stories you know when you get involved in something like this the stories just come to you you don't even have to look for them mm -hmm. and I heard a story about her in Atlanta in full Elizabeth Taylor drag, as it was put in the letter, she went into like these homes with people that were dying of AIDS, and no cameras, no nothing, just went as herself and hugged and kissed everybody and let them know that they were loved, and let wow. them know that she was thinking about them, and was constantly this amazing, amazing gift to uh, people who were dying of the disease at the time. You know, I'm not surprised to hear that at all from her. She didn't want the fanfare. She didn't want the cameras. I mean, that was, that was just her. That was just her being her. Yeah. Yeah, and she, um, it, all, it started with her friendship with, with Brock Hudson. You know, she mm -hmm. knew, she, her quote was like, when I knew that when gay people started to be the enemy, that I had to say something. 
you know, because mm-hmm. to become Elizabeth Taylor, you need a lot of gay people around you. Sure. Yeah, you know, Rock Hudson's passing, I think that was really the first major, like, bombshell that, that kind of yeah. rocked the country about about the whole HIV, and then even some people were just, like, completely stunned that he was gay in the first place. Like, outside of Hollywood, like, like, like normal yeah. movie fans. Totally. Um, and her friendship with him had a lot to do with, I think, how she felt about all of that. It became real personal for her, with, for, mm-hmm. you know, with Rock Hudson's passing and Freddie Mercury's. I think it really, she gave, if you ever have a chance, I didn't know about it until... I'm an ambassador, but there's an incredible speech that Miss Taylor gives at Freddie Mercury's, Mercury's funeral that is just beyond. You have to have to see it. Can you see it on YouTube? Is it on YouTube? Yeah, it's totally on YouTube. Absolutely. Um, she just gives this incredible, incredible speech in front of thousands and thousands of people um, at this live event, and it's just amazing watching her um, wow. take the stage. Then. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely gonna make it a point to see that. And subsequently, I've also, you know, I got to meet, like, being in San Francisco so much filming, looking, I got to meet Cleve Jones, who was Harvey Milk's right-hand man and, and you know, uh, conceptualized the AIDS quilts. And I've met so many important people in the fight, and I met, the, you know, um, I was on a podcast with the, the doctor that discovered the first case of AIDS in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. I've met so, I've met so many people that have been pioneers and trailblazers through my involvement with Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation. Um, it's actually incredible. Um, I'm, I'm one of the people to go to if you have a question about that now. Um, and I just never thought that that would be something that would be a calling for me. But I guess, you know, when God asks you to do something, you just say yes, right? Yeah, he opens the doors for you and you go right through them. You just do it. Yeah, especially when it's something that important. So. Now, do you have much interaction with politicians with, with, with your title, with your position? Because it's important yeah. to get the politicians on board with these things, man. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, we give, you know, um, it goes from everything from uh, last year Days Watch, we presented uh, um, Jose Serrano, um, the New York uh, congressman, with an mm-hmm. award. And, you know, I've been in Barbara Box's office and all these different um, different uh, congressmen's offices uh, talking Good. to both them and their, and their litigants, like, and talking about what we can do to surprising to me how for lack of a better term just how uncool like it has been to support HIV and AIDS in the past few years because it hasn't been something that we've seen on television like I said I mean you know in the 80s we had the Ryan White story and many other stories and in the 90s we had Pitts Moore and many other stories and then once we hit the 2000s there's just been a lack yeah it was right off the grid it went, it went right off the grid and the information hasn't gotten out there I mean information that everyone has in their head about HIV and AIDS is old and antiquated. Yeah. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize until I played Eddie Bear on Looking that people only take one pill now, mm-hmm. you know, and it used to be a whole cocktail of pills, That's like right. a little lunch bag of pills, and now they only take one pill, and I didn't realize how how available PrEP was. Something that's really, ner- like, PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis, so it's a pill that you take every day, and before you're exposed to the HIV virus, it blocks it. So you can't um, you can't get HIV if you, pretty, if you take prep. Now you have to combine that still with a condom because that keeps everything else out. Sure. And the combination makes it 100 percent effective. Now 32 percent of our general practitioners in this country don't know what prep is. How is that possible? That's insane. It's just insane. And then there are 
big pharmaceutical companies that are trying to give it a bad name because if someone takes PrEP, then they don't get HIV. Uh, uh, yeah. These other drugs in treatment. And then they can't rob so people with all the prices that they have to pay to, to, you know, exactly, to fight it. Exactly, exactly. And how infuriating is that for our future and our children's future? Yeah. And it's something that I will never shut up about until it's solved. And hopefully one day it will be. Um, but if everybody took the measures that we have now to prevent HIV, we would eradicate HIV and AIDS by 96% in this country. Jeez. You know, I think they do the same thing with cancer, too, man. Same same bullcrap. They, 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 what? With cancer. Yeah, with absolutely, cancer. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because everyone raised eyebrows with that Martin Screlly, Screlly guy who mm -hmm. raised the price, the $1, oh, yeah. $1 um, a pill drug, $750. But that drug was also used for cancer patients. Um, like to people with HIV and that is a common practice you know when he realized that this that pill was for I mean I don't want to misquote but I'm pretty sure that pill was for when you have a low immune system and somehow you end up in some still water like whether it be from like a pond or a lake or whatever a puddle and you end up in some still water and some of the bacteria for people who have really weakened immune systems from debilitating diseases like like AIDS and uh, mm -hmm. cancer, and then they get they get some kind of bacteria or virus from that water, and this pill was something that they could take to correct that. So that's sort of like an emergency moment. And he thought, well, wouldn't you rather than pay seven dollars? Wouldn't you pay seven hundred and fifty to save your life? So he just thought he can raise up the price like that to just gouge people because he's like, if it's going to save your life, and what this pill does, it's worth more money. But that's not, I mean, this pill was just quietly a few dollars for years. Jeez. Special place in hell, man, for people like that. Yeah, well, he was very smirky and very sociopathic and very, like, obviously a weasel weasel. But there's a lot of bigger corporations. There's a lot of people that are doing it quietly and, and cuter with, you know, prettier ads and things that are swaying the American public away from using drugs like crap. And I think that it's really important that especially our young as thousands of, of people ages 13 to 24 are getting HIV every year and half of them don't even know they have it. Mm. So it's important for people to go get tested and get, and when they know that they, when they know their status, get the proper treatment. Because if you could, if you're, if you have HIV and you to know that you are undetectable and therefore can't transmit the disease. It's the people who don't know that they have HIV and it's the people who aren't being treated that have it right. that are that are spreading it. Yeah, because they don't know. They're unknowingly they're doing it. That's the right. dangerous and part. I think that that's something, I mean, I think that's something that eclipses my acting career, to be honest with you. I think it's something that is so important that I'm put on this earth to help out with. And I may not know all the facts, but I'm learning and I will be a megaphone for AIDS United and for BTAF uh, and for GLAD and for any other organization that needs someone to say something because if no one else is talking about it, I sure should I'm going to. And I think somebody in your shoes who's a celebrity, um, I think it's great that you're utilizing that also because let's, let's be honest, you know, Joe Blow on the corner or the milkman, if, if there's any such thing as a milkman these days, but you know, the guy in the working in the convenience store or whatever, People don't really want to hear or listen to them, but they'll listen to you. You know what I mean? So well, my dad always, my dad always like tried to warn my dad, old school Brooklyn Italian, always tried to warn me against being a loud mouth. He's like, do whatever you want with acting, but just don't be one of those people that are all political and. 
open their mouth about this and that, like, and nobody wants to hear that from you, like, but I have to say, when it comes to this, I really feel compelled, I really feel like I do have a voice. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, because of the roles that I've chosen, uh, Damien was, in Mean Girls, was extremely significant to people who were, were, uh, big chubby gay guys in Mm -hmm. high school, high school, who didn't really have an identity. I mean, I'm I never saw anyone on screen that looked like me that wasn't being made fun of. And I think it gave you know, it was like I got this letter from a fan who said that in eighth grade they were a chubby queer sissy kid that nobody liked. And then the movie came out and in ninth grade the popular senior girls were like, Come sit at our table because you're like Damien and he had an identity. It was already a, a likable archetype that they could relate him to. And he said at first it bothered him, but in the end he embraced it because it created his whole high school social scene. Mm. That made me so happy. And then I do a role like, um, you know, uh, even a role like I said in your grave, which is like, I get a really salacious. And, and <laughs> You're a voyeur, like a lunatic voyeur, dude. <laughs> but not even who I played. The right. story of the show. I mean, that movie was created so uh, because... Mayor Zarki, who made the original movie, was driving past Central Park and a woman ran out of Central Park and she was just raped. And he helped her to the police station and nobody did anything about it. So he came up with this fantasy about how, like, that could, you know, she could take over. And it was sort of standing up for women in a way, mm-hmm. although it was a little, you know, definitely exploitative in its own way and of its time. But I think it was, you know, it was empowering to women to see that movie. And then, and then, you know, to do something like Eddie Bear, where it's, um, you know, a person who's HIV positive and living his life healthy and being pursued by the hot, you know, male lead of a show. And, like, I never see anybody who's a man of size that's not a castrated comic relief in gay programming. Mm-hmm. And here we have someone who's sexualized and having sex and, like, in love and capable of being loved despite his status and size and everything else, and maybe, in fact, because of it. And now I'm doing a show like Recovery Road, where on Recovery Road I play Vern, who is someone who's recovering from cocaine. Another thing that people can latch onto and 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 uh, feel um, and learn from and be inspired by. So I, I guess I'm creating some sort of legacy of my own with the types of roles that I'm choosing that are important roles that are evoking this position for me to be some sort of thought leader or something. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, Go ahead, I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm happy to take on that role if it's something that I can do to help other people because I know how much I've been <clears throat> by by uh, media and television and film and, and plays and things that I've seen and, and caught how culture has healed parts of me. So if I can in turn give that back, uh, achieve the ultimate goal of entertaining people, I think I've really done my job on this earth. Have you ever thought about doing a one-man show? Like Mike Tyson, the, the former heavyweight champion, the boxer. He, I did one. Oh, you did do one. Okay. Yeah, Talk about I that. I did off-Broadway uh, in 2014 called I've Never Really Made the Kind of Money to Become a Mess. Oh, okay. And, I mean, I probably would do another one at some point. Uh, it was a big achievement for me to pull it off with my schedule and my timing, but I do a lot of storytelling and... Um, and live appearances around Los Angeles and New York when I have an opportunity. That's great, man. Talk about real quick, and I'll let you go, because I know you're probably a busy guy. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on what it was like to work with Lindsay Lohan on um, Mean Girls. Uh, well, at the time, I feel like 
we didn't get uh, we we didn't like not get along, but we weren't uh, particularly close during filming because she was 15 years old and I was 26. Sure. So it was sure. definitely a little bit different. But as we grew older, I think um, especially now that she's been um, successful in her sobriety, I feel like we've met up again in recent years on a different level, mm. and uh, it's nice being around her now. Um, when we were when we were doing that, it, it, it felt like the work was more important, you know, and she was really young. She couldn't, like, go out and drink with us or anything. Right, know? right, right, right. Uh, but I think um, I think now that we're adults and, you know, she's, like I said, she's in this place of a little bit more peace. I mean, she's, you know, she famously had troubles. Uh, sure. I think I think that now we meet up on a, on a better level, and I do enjoy seeing her when I get the opportunity to. Yeah, she's, she's really doing good here lately, re- recently, so definitely. Yeah, I'm very proud of I agree, because she's very, very talented. Great actress. Um, all right, touch on some future projects, man. What do you got What do you got coming up? Um, well, I definitely have a looking movie coming out this year. Um, I have another uh, movie uh, that we're finishing, The Finishing Touches on next month, um, called Mind Puppets, which is about five people who get hypnotized, and uh, the hypnotist has a heart attack, and we get stuck in our trance. Oh, that's a cool little script. It is cool. I play I play a man who thinks he's a pregnant woman. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's freaking epic, man. <laughs> and it's very much in the vein of Italian mom. Um, oh man! Definitely a very similar voice uh, that comes over him as he starts to think he's a pregnant woman. Um, but yeah, so I'm finishing that up, and then. Um, like I said, there's a few surprises and things I really haven't been able to announce yet that I'll be doing with Logo this year. And currently, right now, I'm uh, on Mondays at 9 on Freeform. Uh, you can catch me on Recovery Road. That's great stuff, man. Well, look, we absolutely enjoyed having you on board. Um, wish you much success going forward. Um, congrats on, on all the things you're doing for awareness and it's really, really a pleasure to, to just to hear that um, that somebody's out there swinging away and doing the fighting the good fight, man. Um, before I let you go, you want to plug some social networks, your Twitter and Instagrams, all and Facebooks, all that stuff. Yes, if you'd like to see any of my YouTube videos, go to my 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 tube. And if you would like to catch me on any social network, from Snapchat to Twitter to Instagram to Tumblr, you can find me at What's Up Danny.